0: Hey, Mister Reggie, how are you doing, sir? Are we all set, equipment-wise? I like where the uh, I like where the needles a bop in there. So keep it right there. You know my settings. <laughs> I hopefully you do. All right, let's do this thing. <clears throat> Clear the instrument, and off we go. Alright, put it in the book, episode number 330, 330. All right, I'll give you the three S's and the countdown, give you the music, and I'll give you a podcast. How's that? Sounds good. Sounds like a recipe for a fun hour, doesn't it? (laughs) (laughs) And I will, in the recipe here, I will now break a few eggs, but make sure you don't break them too bad. You don't want to have any shells when you serve your food to your guests? Does anybody? Do you even know who I'm doing? You, you're too young for that, right? You remember who Julia Child is? No, huh? Wow. How can anybody be remembered if Julia Child isn't remembered? Unless, I guess, you, I don't know. Unless you're JFK or the Beatles, I don't know. Uh, in in, a, in in fifty years, who gets remembered? Julia Child is not even remembered. What a shame. All right, here we go. Ooh, thank you for that. (laughs) Okay, here we go. Star, smile, strong. Three, two, one. Hey, it's Elton Jim Toronto, and this is Captain Podtastic. And welcome to another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday, a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast. We are in attendance. How's that? (laughs) Hey, if you like what you hear, don't forget... Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your family, tell anybody that you know that listens to podcasts, that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcast, and they should be theirs, too. Listening is not enough. You got to get out there. Hit the street. And if you do, just know that somewhere in your deep recesses, I will be there smiling at you. Thank you. So much. If you like what you hear, go to WGNRadio.com, go to the podcast section, hit the prompt for this podcast, and my goodness, what a pirate's booty thou shalt find. Arr! He find a treasure chest filled with podcasts. That we be sparkling in your eyes forever. There must be 329 podcasts in there just waiting for you to listen to. So, this is obviously then podcast number 330. Ha <laughs> ha ha. Yo ho, yo ho, a pirate's life for me. <laughs> wow, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> it's not on my script. Yeah, I'm looking here on page one does not say break into pirate imitation, but that's that's just part of the charm of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic podcast, which hopefully keeps you coming back week after 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 week in theory, right? 330 weeks in a row you've been coming back here. At least I've been here. I don't know if you've been here for all 330 weeks, but I have 330 weeks. Wow. I'm, I'm doing a little long division here. I mean, that's, yeah, well. It's over six years that's yeah it, it's yeah it's it's over six years six times 52 is 312 right yeah so we're at 330 over six years that's exactly what it turns out to be wow can't believe that may of 2016 when i first had the idea to do this and WGN was uh, was nice enough to give me a platform to do it. And here we are, six and a half years later. I didn't think it would still be going on. And back in those days, podcasts were still a relatively new thing in terms of popularity. Now everyone has one. But back then, not everyone had one. People were beginning to have them. So I'm not a a pioneer by any means. I'm not a trailblazer. But I, I think I can... Sneak in under the early adopter designation, but I certainly will not take any credit for being a podcast pioneer. And certainly, I I I really don't even know how many people listen to this podcast. Hopefully, there's there's more than three. <laughs> but uh, you know, I mean, I I I can listen to myself talk all day. So <laughs> you know, I <laughs> the fact is. Uh, you know, I have to edit myself to get into like an hour. People are like, "Wow, you know, you do that for an hour?" Because a lot of podcasts are like maybe twenty minutes, thirty minutes long, and uh, but you like to keep it for an hour. I mean, you know, a regular radio program is a four-hour duration, but on commercial radio, for for example, there's commercials, and so you know, really out of a three-hour show. In, in reality, if you count up the time, say a three-hour show or say a four-hour show, you're really only talking for maybe two hours, if that. You might be under two hours. So here, once again, no commercials on this podcast, you get a full hour. It would take you perhaps three hours of actual time to get the content that I am delivering to you in one big chunk. So I'm saving you time. You say, Jim, you know, what, my gosh, you know, I'm getting tired of hearing you talk here. So I've been over an hour, enough already. And I understand that, that's fine. Turn it off. <laughs> I don't know. You won't be hurting my feelings. I have no idea when you turn it off or you turn it on. I have no idea if you're listening to it or not. That's the beauty of this. If one thing, if you can look at one thing, about the internet, and there are many downsides to it. And there are many upsides to it, don't get me wrong. But there are many downsides to it too, and we're seeing those ever increasing as we continue to uh, depend more and exploit more and expand more the uses of the internet and especially of the smartphone. We are finding more consequences uh, and more downsides than we would have expected But we certainly get some upsides. Don't get me wrong. I'm not anti-tech. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. I'm just trying to point out that it's not all a bed of roses, right? There are some downsides to this. But if there is one upside, and I I don't know if it's really an upside, but it's an interesting um, concept of it, outgrowth of it, that perhaps provides a little uh, freedom, and that is the anonymity, anonymity, anonymity or anonymity, anonymous, anonymity, an- the anonymity. Jim, why do you use words that you can't pronounce? Well, I don't know. I can't pronounce them until I try to pronounce them. <laughs> I'm looking at my script here and uh, you know, I'm on to page three already. And uh, yeah, there is the word. It's spelled out anonymity there you go An anonymity and um mi- uh, and non anonymity anonymity there's yeah the n i have to put spell check for this script here anonymity there you go it is the anonymity of the internet that is it can be a, a good thing because sometimes you know we are all a little gun shy at times and and um but here, as I said before, you know, I put this out and, uh, you know, folks at WGN posted on their website, I don't know if people listen every week. I don't know if people listen through the whole thing, if they, they zone out after 10 minutes or 20 minutes or 30 minutes. I put out what I want to do. My podcast, in most cases, is as long as it needs to be. For me to talk about a specific subject, whatever I want to talk about, it's as long as it needs to be. I try to make it at least an hour because I think that's a good time to cover a lot of, a lot of bases and things like that. Um, I probably could make it shorter at times. But as I said, uh, I certainly have the gift of gab. I can listen to myself talk for hours. <laughs> I don't want to inflict that on you. But you don't have to listen to me for hours. Sometimes a podcast comes in right at an hour. Sometimes it comes in a couple of minutes under. Sometimes it becomes five minutes after or 15 minutes after. Hopefully you listen through. Hopefully it's compelling and interesting enough. Uh, but if not, you have all the power. You can turn it on and turn it off whenever you want. So who knows? But... uh But what I did want to talk about today, aside from I don't want to do a little treatise here on the Internet, but uh, sad day, sad week. And uh, today, when this podcast posts, uh, will be the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. And, uh, sad day. I, I do consider myself an Anglophile. I have been to England in the United Kingdom many times. Over the last 30 years, I would say more than a dozen times. Just was in the United Kingdom a couple of months ago. It was there in July. So, right, just right after the Queen's, uh, Jubilee celebration for her 70th year on the throne. Um, and just before, Sadly, uh, she passed away a few weeks ago. And so uh, right in the middle there. Uh, certainly uh, saw some of the remnants of the, the Jubilee celebration that had only taken place a couple, three weeks before we were there in July, in, in mid, uh, early July. It was only about a month after the Jubilee that we were there. So we were, there was still a lot of uh, pageantry up throughout the city celebrating the jubilee on streets flags banners different things certainly the gift shops had still all the little trinkets that they were selling with the queen's face and with her name and with her coat of arms and all that official royal pomp and circumstance so you certainly got a uh, we certainly weren't there for any of the actual events and the celebrations but even a month later you could still feel that uh that atmosphere was still in the air and the queen was obviously still alive and people were very happy and proud uh to be able to celebrate 70 years she was the longest monarch in uh, in british history if not in world history they're still trying to 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 get that straight I've I've seen conflicting news reports. If she was in fact the longest living monarch uh, in the history of the world, and we'd, we'd have to go back centuries for that, because there, there you know there have been a lot of kings and queens, and who knows in terms of the history and the calendars and all that. But let's just say that uh, Queen Elizabeth had a had a pretty 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 long run. Definitely the longest monarch in in British history. And as I said, being a, an Anglophile, um, I think, I think I, I've, I've told the story sometimes I think in the past, but, um, we went on uh, our honeymoon to London and, uh, I immediately felt a connection to London and England and, uh, we were there for 10 days, and uh, I I was physically depressed when we had to leave on our honeymoon. And I vowed to come back and had to come back soon. I, I, I affectionately called it home. I felt so, so comfortable there. I don't know. You know, you always talk about these prior lives and all that. I don't know if that's BS or not. But there's, I for whatever reason, I had more than just a nice time visiting another place I'd never been to before. There really was some kind of internal, at least I felt internal connection to the country. And perhaps it, it did grow out of nothing spiritual or mystical, but it might be just from the fact that, uh, a lot of the music that I've listened to in my lifetime, um, is based on and written by British citizens, right? The British invasion. I mean, I'm 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 a rock and roller, and while certainly rock and roll started here in the United States with Elvis and Chuck Berry and Little Richard and Fats Domino and Jerry Lee Lewis, and going back to the the history of it with the blues, with you know Robert Jordan and Muddy Waters and Johnny Lee Hooker and all those people, and so many more. But uh, but certainly the, the British invasion, even though I was hardly out of the womb when it happened, but you cannot discount the influence of the British rock stars over the last 50 years, and certainly throughout the 60s and 70s and 80s. It was really in the 90s when the British influence in rock and pop, uh, has diminished. And especially now, uh, with hip hop and, uh, and rap, it is mostly an American dominated music now that uh, is popular and on the radio and on the charts. But certainly from the sixties and seventies and eighties, uh, you know, the nineties became the grunge era. And and that was mostly American bands, so the British influence in pop music, in rock music especially, has diminished quite a bit over the last thirty years. Since the nineties, it's really been a long time. There hasn't really been out now. I mean, you can argue, yes. I mean, there's Harry Styles now, right? I mean, he's he's British and he's the big to do right now. So I I, I guess you can say that. Um. And uh, don't get me wrong, there was a Spice Girls. I mean, the the British influence has never gone away. But certainly in today's pop world with hip-hop and rock, uh, hip-hop and rap, um, it's mostly dominated by African-Americans. It's mostly American uh, hip-hop artists and and rappers. But yes, uh, now that I think about it, um, there's no question that... uh, That Harry Styles is a big deal right now, and there was Amy Winehouse. I'm not saying that there have been no British acts, and certainly Adele, you know, UK. So I'm not discounting, but the dominance and the influx of the British invasion of the early '60s and uh, or the mid '60s, and then early '70s, and then later the second British British invasion. During the uh, the early to mid '80s, uh, with the new wave movement, uh, certainly had a good, at that time 25 30year stranglehold on the music world and on the pop culture world. And that's when I was growing up and listening to music, and that's the music that I enjoy. So perhaps the connection that I feel and still do, but certainly felt 30 years ago when I went, when I was much younger. Um, when I first went there, 32 years ago now, uh, maybe it was informed by and influenced by the fact that uh, so many of the so much of the music that I listened to, and so many of the performers or the the songwriters were from England. That there were so many references in the songs to places and cities. And sites and things that were British and street corners, and and because they were writing about what they knew. Every good writer does that. You write about what you know best. And so, being a fan of Elton John, obviously, and uh, John Lennon, and the Beatles, and Paul uh, Pete Townsend, and the Who, uh, and and other and various various, uh, you know, British rock bands, the influence. And what I heard them talking about uh, was very British. The Who, Pete Townsend's work is very British. Uh, you know, with the quadrifina about the mods and the and the and the rockers, and uh, that's very British. That was a very British scene at the time with the mods and the rockers in the sixties. So perhaps. I felt so at home and I looked around and recognized things and and saw references to what I had been singing you know in my head or listening to for you know the first uh, you know 20 some years of my life So then I was actually, when I, so I was there, I was, I was, you know, these places that were being referenced or, you know, whether it was a street, whether it was a neighborhood, whether it was a town, whether it was a, a building, whether it was a bar, uh, you know, reading stories about where these people grew up and, and their, and their upbringing, um, when I actually got to see it, uh, or saw it, wait, wait, oh, there's, wait, oh. For instance, just winding your way down on Baker Street. Well, there's a Baker Street, folks. It's in it's in London. Light in your head and dead on your feet, right? So, you know, there I was walking down on Baker Street. There were so many references. I, I just so I felt very comfortable, very connected to it. And I'm a big, you know, being an actor as well. I obviously the uh, the Shakespeare connection. I mean, it's you know the theater. Uh, Oh, it's dripping with history. I've been to Stratford on Avon. In fact, we just went back there again uh, this summer, a couple of months ago. It was just great to visit the the, the town where William Shakespeare was born, and uh, always get inspired by that. So, uh, I just have uh, I I have found that I have a lot of of British connections uh, with me. I've made friends there over the years and uh, stayed at people's homes and, and, so, and, and lived there. You know, I'd love to live there for like a year, just to, to really live there every day. Um, but I can, in, in, in many areas of, of London especially, I can walk around without a map. I, I know it that well now. And uh, I, I just felt an immediate connection when I landed, and I was so depressed and so homesick. And that's the word I would use. Homesick. When I left there, and I wanted to go back, and we actually did go back within like six months, less than that, because I just enjoy and every and I had you know because of COVID and other uh, things, uh, it was the longest stretch. The last time uh, I had been there was what 2015, and just going now this summer, here we are 2022, uh, was a, it was a seven-year gap, and that was the longest I had not been to England that's the longest when the last 32 years 7 years that was the longest gap and 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 I felt it when I landed oh it was just so great and we we stayed there for about 4 days or 5 days and oh I just loved it I I just I just felt once again so comfortable so uh when I heard about the the queen's death I never met the queen obviously um but I visited buckingham palace many times never went inside there's always there are tours of buckingham palace now but i've never been there when the tours were open we just went in in july but the tours didn't start until later in the month so we didn't get a chance to do that i don't usually go there in the summer a lot of times i'm always there in the fall and uh, at that time buckingham palace was not open for tours very long now it'll be interesting to see Uh, What happens to Buckingham Palace in terms of that, as far as that's concerned, uh, the the queen did used to stay there quite a bit. She used to also stay in Windsor and where she passed away at Balmoral in Scotland. She loved Scotland, but she was at Buckingham Palace a good deal of time as well. Uh, I don't know if Charles is going to stay there. He's, you know, he's been bopping around his whole life and staying at different places. And while his mom was there, he was not there right because she 's the Queen, so he went to other properties that the royal family has, and so you know with a, with a life of seventy three years um he might not have as much an, as an affection for Buckingham Palace or even that much of a uh, of, of experience of being there because you know that was the queen 's house, and while that 's his mom, and he may have grown up there as he got older, he probably wanted to go out on his own and, and we know that he Has many different residences and really wasn't living in Buckingham Palace all that much. It'll be interesting to see that if if he takes the uh, residence there uh, like his mom did, or perhaps they may just open it up and uh, open it up for tours and make it a tourist attraction. It always has been. Every time you go to to London, anytime you go to London, um, all you do when you walk to Buckingham Palace, there are just people outside that place doing nothing but looking at it and standing outside of the gates. And taking pictures of themselves. And what's funny. I've seen many documentaries about the queen. Over the years. And what is funny is that. There there was a room. A sitting room. I'm not sure if it was her bedroom or wherever. Because it was a huge building. But there is a room. Where they have shown her many times. Looking out the window. Out at the front. Of that gate where people are always congregating. And so there's a good chance, while I never met the queen, um, there's a good chance that she may have seen me looking out that window someday. You know, they have a uh, a flagpole on the top of Buckingham Palace, and uh, they let you know if the queen is in residence or not. If she's not there, they just have the British flag, the Union Jack, from the flagpole. But if she is there, they have her standard there They'll let you know that she's there, like her coat of arms, kind of a flag. And so sometimes you go by there, and if you didn't see the Union Jack, you go, okay, well, she's in there at least, not sure where, not sure what she's doing. Maybe she's looking out that window. Maybe she, maybe, I, maybe just we should just be waving now. <laughs> But even though I never met her, I certainly um like so many people have said especially that live in, in in the UK you could feel her presence, you can feel I mean she was you know reigning whatever that means, i mean, certainly the 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 royalty, the monarchy is is more of um of a figurehead and a a token kind of nostalgic thing. It doesn't really hold any power anymore. Obviously, the country is run by the parliament. But at the same time, there is an odd relationship. Uh, You know, for instance, two days before she passed away. How crazy is that? Two days before she passed away, and she still looked like she was in pretty good shape for a woman of 96. um, But she officially installed the new prime minister. That's part of her duty. So even though she doesn't have any real political power, at the same time there is this kind of dotted line um, ruling, if you will, that, that that the that the royal family rules over the country. But yet they do, but they don't. It's 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 odd. It's uh, and it's going to be very interesting once again to see. Um, now that she is gone um and she was so steeped in tradition and it's not, you know, everybody says, Oh, well, you know, the, she the, the queen was stodgy or out of touch. Well, that's not really true. You have to remember this is a 96 year old woman. She was reigning for 70 years. It's baffling to see, especially when you look at the, at the time that went by, she went, came on the throne in 1952. You know, I mean, the world was so different in every possible way when she took over. So and still, at the, I saw a, a crazy statistic that in terms of even the way the monarchy is viewed in 1952, even though it seems that, right, you know, it's the, the 20th century, right? We're talking about going to space and all that. And still in 1952. The world, not just England, but the world was still steeped in old world views and old world traditions. As much as it was the 20th century, it was still dominated by old world thinking. Even though the thinking was beginning to change and expand with our education and our technology. But the average person still was clinging to and living by many of these old world thoughts and notions and beliefs of what was true or not. I read a a stat that in 1952, when Queen Elizabeth II took over the throne, like 58%, if not more, I can't remember the number, but it was it was more than 50% it was a pretty impressive number still believed that this notion that the queen queen elizabeth was ordained to that job by god <laughs> okay that god chose queen elizabeth now, once again, you know th- this, is, this is like folk story kind of stuff, right? I mean, that's what royalty did. Royalty going back to the Egyptians. One of their selling points to keep people in line and to keep their own prestige high was that uh, any kinds of, of pharaohs, kings, whatever you want to call them, of the past centuries ago, Past millennia ago, uh, deemed themselves either gods themselves, deities themselves, or certainly ordained or anointed by the de- by the deities, by the gods. Whether it was the Christian God. Or the Greek mythology gods, or the Norse gods, whichever gods, there's a lot of gods out there, folks, especially through history. But many people in the 1950s, in England at least, believed truly that the Queen was chosen by God. Okay, so, you know, fast forward to 2022, I don't hear anyone saying that they believe that Philip or that uh, Charles was chosen by God. To be the king. In fact, if anything, a lot of people are questioning whether the monarchy is really going to survive. But if this was, I mean, but this is the mindset. If if uh, if there was a thought process uh, seventy years ago that uh, the queen was chosen by God, then then where then how can we even think of abolishing the monarchy if this is a God given gift? In theory, that's the way it was viewed seventy years ago. Not the way it's viewed today. So uh, you can't begrudge the Queen for being a traditionalist, for being steeped in those in a, in a mindset and in a in a history um and, and someone that um you know clung to and and uh and elevated and celebrated uh the traditions of the monarchy with the pomp and the circumstance we don't see that a lot but we do love it we do even if we think it is superficial uh you know a week after we after it's done we say well this is all just a big you know big party but we're all watching it we still are intrigued as jive as it may seem in 2022 as outdated it may seem in 2022 as much as as an Anachronism, and look that one up. That's in my script too. Here, I said that one right. I think anachronism, um, as it may be out of touch of our with our society, we are still drawn to it. And when you see that gold, gold painted giant carriage that uh, you know the queen used to, used to be transported around during special ceremonies. Uh, it looks so crazy and so jive, and yet it looks so cool. It's it's kitschy, and all the you know they still have the changing of the guard. We were just there. We were, we 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 didn't go there. We've seen it a, f- a few times, so, so we didn't go there specifically to see it. But we were walking past Buckingham Palace one morning as we were on our way to somewhere else, and we got caught into the crowd of it because it was on, and you you can't help but stop and watch it. There's the bee with the giant black hats and the red coats and they're all marching straight in line and they're on horseback and they're, I mean, you know, they're playing the, you know, all the horns and all these, these big patriotic blasting songs. Um, it may seem very out of date and at the same time, it's so compelling. I'm not sure what it is. So, uh, you can't blame Queen Elizabeth for, for for being that way. That is the environment of which she was born into and grew up into and, to some extent, dedicated to. You may have seen some clips or documentaries that they were showing on the news and features um, about the queen's life, and, and they played several times this uh this one clip that she uh made uh, when she was like 21 years old and basically um dedicating her life at that time to the service of the united kingdom um even uh i think before she was queen and she had this you know eerie quote i mean she lived to be 96 and she was in her early 20s at the time and she said i dedicate my life uh um As long or short as it may be. (laughs) Well, it turned out it was on the long side. (laughs) But she was dedicated to uh, service to her country. And that's the one thing that you heard constantly. If you watched any of the coverage of of her death, as I said, today when this uh, podcast is posted will be her funeral. And I certainly will be watching that. Um, but the one thing you will always hear about Queen Elizabeth, you heard, it, you heard it right after her death, and I think that will be her legacy uh, forever, is her commitment to service and duty to the country. She was unwavering in that. Um, she may have been a little out of touch, What people also say about her and why she offered a uh, a stability to the UK over the last 70 years, because the UK has had a very turbulent history over the last 70 years that she was in the, you know, on the throne Uh, when she took over, um, you know, they were, England was still in London, and England, was still in the in the aftermath, on the rebuilding after World War II. World War II ended in 1945, but uh, you know the Germans bombed the Great Blitz of London. They bombed Buckingham Palace. They were serious. You know, people, I don't know if people realize how how serious World War II was. I mean, now we look at it, and it's just it's these black and white films, but. There was real destruction. There was real. There was real intent going on. There was there was real you know uh, hunger for world domination going on. You know, we we think now of you wouldn't bomb, you know, the Eiffel Tower or Buckingham Palace. You see the movie Independence Day, you know, bombing the White House. You wouldn't think of that. Remember the I think what was it called? Designated uh what was the the show with um with Keith or, Kiefer Sutherland a few years ago where they bombed the White House. You know, and he was the the last or the they either bombed the White House, no, they bombed the um they bombed the Capitol while the all the, the government. Designated survivor, perhaps? I think that was the name of the show. Well, you know, they they bombed the Capitol and, and they always have one person not at the a government um, you know, gathering of all the you know the president and and, the, and and all the levels of government. So if something catastrophe happens, there is someone as an elected official is still there to take over. Um, you know, but uh, so my point is that Queen Elizabeth took over while London was still you know was still kind of trying to bounce back after the physical destruction and the emotional destruction that those that the german bombings during world war II inflicted on that company and, and then the korean war was going on at the time and uh london and england have had several uh you know catastrophes and uh you know strife uh you know a lot of union and and worker uh you know demonstrations and protests and obviously The conflicts going on with Ireland over the years uh, for independence and the bombings that took place. And, uh, you know, the monarchy and the queen, you know, as time went on, uh, even her enemies warmed up to her because she just became, as, as many people have described her, as the grandmother of the country. But, you know, when she was in her 30s and 40s and 50s, she was still a very polarizing figure for a lot of people. It's only when she got into her 70s and 80s and 90s that even her most staunchest critics, um, she had been just through pure longevity, they came to respect her and came to to not be as um, hateful. And I would use that word as they were toward her and the monarchy uh you know perhaps in the 60s and 70s and 80s and even 90s but as she continued to be around she was this this figure that was was there's the word stabilizing she was always there and then she just you know how can you hate this this nice-looking little old lady that uh, that waves and smiles and wears hats and has fun going to the races and riding horses and with all her corgis and things like that and, uh, and then showing up. And she did look good to crown. She did look good in a tiara. She did look good riding in a gold-painted carriage. So she fit the mold of what the monarchy had been And she continued that. But it's going to be very interesting because I don't know if Charles can do that. If he can keep the monarchy as dedicated to its older traditions without um, expanding it and making it more contemporary and transparent as opposed to very closed and secretive. I mean, once again, what was interesting in the queen's obituaries where people were giving her credit and, and compliments, it was based on the fact that she never did an interview and that we didn't know what the queen thought because she stayed neutral Now, this is supposedly, and they said she stayed out of politics. It sounds almost, uh, you know, inconceivable. How could you be the quote-unquote queen of a country, the quote-unquote ruler of the country, the quote-unquote head of state of a country and yet not be involved in politics? She really wasn't involved in the sausage-making of law in the sausage-making of politics. At the same time, once again, according to tradition, every every prime minister met with the queen to give her an update. So she was informed about the government. She could offer some hints... But she didn't get she didn't make political speeches and she didn't introduce legislation and she didn't sign into law anything. It's an interesting relationship, and like they're saying is that over his seventy three years of being sort of the the heir in waiting, Charles did have opinions and Charles was a forerunner on uh such uh subjects as climate change and the environment. For over fifty years he 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 was talking about this stuff and people just figured, well, what you know, it's nothing else to what, what's you know what's he what, what's he? He's not even the king. He's you know he's just her son and who cares? What's he talking about? Climate change? What's that? Environment? What's that? Whatever. He needs something to do. You know, she's just giving him something to do. That's not the case. He was out front on that and promoted that very much um, and talked about it. Now, whether it was listened to by a lot of people for the last 50 years, that's another subject. But now he is in that position. And so it will be interesting to see, once again, not only does he streamline the monarchy, does he does he take away a lot of the pomp and circumstance that has always been there and that was celebrated by the queen? Does he, be, does he tone that down uh, for a new generation or does he maintain the tradition? Does he streamline the monarchy? Does he make it more transparent? Does he talk about political issues? Does he talk about the world? Does he make comments? Does he try to really influence things? Or does he sit back and observe and vaguely send messages about what he believes or what he thinks? I don't know. It's a tough it's a tough job for him. He's you know, you you never want to uh replace a legend as great as it is to be the next guy in or next woman in after somebody's been at a job for a long time because then you finally get your chance but if that person has been in a long time and has become uh, you know gained the legendary status which queen elizabeth certainly has uh it's hard whether you're her son or not whether you've been around for a long time it's hard to overcome that image um, for most people alive today Queen Elizabeth is the only queen they have known whether you live in the UK or not you know Queen Elizabeth she's been around the name is well known and so following that you have to even though she even though if you look I mean what did she do right what did she do did she really affect change? I don't know. Did, did she really? You know, she was the queen, but what did that mean? But yet she had an influence. But yet she didn't really change anything, right? It's an odd job in in today's world. This uh, this idea of a monarchy and and what the queen did. So that's why I said, you know, Charles is going to have an interesting, um, you know, an interesting reign because he's going to have to either make a decision to uh, make a make, have it a hybrid. A little pomp and a little circumstance and a little transparency and a little reality or no pomp and no circumstance and a lot of transparency and reality or no transparency reality and all pomp and circumstance. You know, who knows? I think what's interesting, uh, everybody's saying that Charles you know, was, has been tutored and has been waiting a lifetime for this job, which is true. The minute he was born 73 years ago, He knew his destiny. He knew that someday he would be on the throne. I think he probably thought it would be more before he was 73 when he's an older man now. But nonetheless, he's still there. His destiny was fulfilled. It may have taken longer than he expected or maybe he wanted or anyone expected, but that's once again the tradition, which I also have to question. You know, we we are, we are we, when, the, when the Supreme Court recently overturned Roe v. Wade. Um, you know, we're talking about the the appointment of, of of Supreme Court justices, and here we're talking about the um, you know the monarchy, which is all hereditary, and we talk about the election of popes. All these jobs. Are lifetime appointments. And I think if, if I, I, you know, when you're talking about transparency or, or getting with the times, I think that if that's something that should be abolished, you don't have to necessarily abolish the institution, but I think you could start to alter some of the overriding um, tenets of these institutions that are just outdated in today's society. And I think one of those is a lifetime appointment to anything. You know, the Pope is not in the best of shape right now physically. He had uh, some knee surgeries and things like that. And so, for instance, the Pope, now don't forget, the last Pope, Benedict, resigned uh, because of health reasons, and yet he's still alive. I just don't think he wanted the job. And, and you know what? Then good for him that he quit, because if you don't want that kind of a job, you shouldn't have it. Give it to somebody that wants it. You can debate the uh, you know the, the significance of of, the, of a pope in today's world, but it still carries with it an importance and responsibilities. Whether you believe in the pope and his infallibility or not, regardless, it is a it is a position it is an institution and it has responsibilities and and you need someone who's motivated to carry out those responsibilities and so here was pope benedict and for all i don't know if he campaigned for this he was elected by a group of cardinals for all you know he didn't even want it i don't think he did because he left it it wasn't unprecedented other popes had resigned in, in, in history, but I believe it was 600 years before the last one did or since the last one did. So it's been a little while, but hey, good for him for whatever reason, whether it was the, 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 you know, the, the child abuse um, scandal that continues to riddle the, the Catholic Church or whatever it was. I don't think it was his health because he's still alive but regardless whether it was his health whether it was the scandal whether it was the job itself he's not a high profile guy that you need a charismatic high profile guy that likes to go out there and mix with the people and make speeches and and spread the word and and he was a, an academic he was a, 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 he was very introverted it may have been his turn he'd been around he knew a lot of people the pope um, i think certainly John Paul II sort of telegraphed to many of his cardinals that he felt that he wanted uh, Benedict to become his successor. But I, I don't think Benedict wanted the job, so he quit, and good for him. That's a job that should have someone that wants it. But here in this case, so, so, you know, now we've got Pope Francis, and I think he likes the job, he wants the job, but once again, he was older when he got elected to it, and now he's physically breaking down. Which is understandable. He's 85 or so. He's had some serious uh, knee surgery. He can't. He's not as mobile as he used to. And the Pope is a is a job that that that, that at least John Paul II made into a very active uh, job of uh, of travel around the world to spread the word. And uh, and so he's having some physical problems. And there's been talk that he may resign. Okay, fine. What is it with this lifetime appointment? I mean, I love the queen. She was great, right? Once again, the grandmother of the world, whatever she was. But did she really need to be the queen until she was 96? What was she really, you know, I'm not being ageism here, but my point is she had been on the throne for many years. Aside from just racking up this this longest uh, on the throne thing, did she really do anything? affect any real change or do anything in the last 20 years, in the last 20 years, that she couldn't have stepped down and let Charles take over when he was a younger man of 52, where he would have had the energy and the vision and the adrenaline uh, to, to really... Make a difference and 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 be and get and throw himself into this job and, and work at it tirelessly, whatever he wanted to do with it. Because now he's 73, and I don't care how excited you are and, and and how inspired you may be, and you've been waiting for this job your whole life, it was your destiny, literally, but you're still 73 years old. I don't care how excited you are. Your body is still, I don't care what great shape you're in or not, you're still 73 years old. Your, 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 your energy level is still decreased from what it was when you were 52. So I just look back and I'm like, you know, aside from, oh, she was the longest living monarch. Okay, so so what? So now that's done. So now she, it's over with. So now that we write that in the book, but what does that mean? It's a number now. There's not going to be any more jubilees, uh, you know, for Queen. There's no 80th, you know, uh, anniversary. So that's done. Meanwhile, here's her son, who's 73, taking over. I think for the first time, you know, it's almost as if, sadly, here's this guy that's been waiting for this job his whole life. It was his destiny. And now it almost feels as if he's just a placeholder until he dies because everybody's looking forward to having William the King a younger guy more vibrant more interesting more appealing he's got the you know Kate and the kids there's a there's an energy a freshness you know the the, the, the tie to, to, to Lady Diana and those memories instead of a 73 year old man and his and his older wife Camilla sort of walking slow and shuffling nothing against them they're 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 older people and i'm not saying anything wrong with that but does he have the same energy and vision and uh and an inspiration at 73 that he would have at 53 i don't know the queen could have could have resigned Once again, talk about breaking tradition, but she wouldn't do that. She was a traditionalist, but I think that that Charles is is probably feeling for the first time in his life, in his 73 years, in his life, I think Charles is feeling, finally, to some extent, I mean, he's the king, right? But uh, once all the mourning, the official mourning gets over with, you're going to see a lot more criticism I think come his way right now he's got a little honeymoon period people are are giving him a break he's mourning his mother not only you know this this public figure but it's his mother as he said in many speeches after she died mama it was very touching to hear him call her mama yes she was the queen of England but she was his mother and for someone who's lost their mother believe me you, you, you never get over it and to have to mourn that in public is is not an easy thing. But as time goes on, he's going to be judged on his own. And I think there's going to be a lot of criticism of him. There's going to be a lot of questioning over the monarchy. There's going to be a lot of countries that are going to be wondering, um, do they still want to be under the rule of England and things like that? There's going to be, uh, once, now that the queen's gone, all that history is gone. And whatever, you know, whatever revenue that that gave, and I don't mean money-wise, but I'm just talking about image-wise, goes with her. And now uh, Charles has to earn it, and it's it's his to own. And uh, once again, I, I think that uh, for the first time in his life, he's going to know what it feels like to be his cousin or his, his, uh, his brother Andrew, who was the spare heir, if you will, or even what his son is going through, Harry who is also the spare heir, the sibling that is not in line to become the next monarch. You know, Andrew and Edward were his brothers. They were not in line as close to the throne, and now Charles did ascend to it. They were known as the spare heirs, that they're around, but they're, they're, they're not anointed. And there's a huge demarcation within the tradition. And when those kids are, grow, are, are raised, even in the culture within their home, the person that's going to be the next king, everybody knows it, and they treat them that way, and they groom that person, whether it's a, a man or a woman. They groom that person to prepare for what it means to be the king. And if you're not that heir, you certainly get respect, but it's a different kind of respect than that other one that's going to be on the throne gets. And that their sibling rivalry to begin with, add, add on to that, that one of the siblings is going to be king and one isn't one is going to be fawned over. One is going to have a crown on his head and the other ones don't throw that in your little family pool, throw that in your little dysfunctional family and see how that works. Not easy. I think what's been interesting too, so it'll be interesting to see how Charles deals with this and 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 is he already grooming William? Will he actually break tradition and resign and let William take over? Because don't forget, Charles has some pretty good longevity genes in his in his uh you know heredity genes in his uh, in his lineage. Right off the bat. I can name you three. His father was 99. His mother was 96. And his grandmother, the queen mother, was 101. So there's there's some longevity there in his immediate family genes. So now the question is, what if he lives to be... Another 20 years. He lives to be 95 or 96. Then he's going to, then his son, who's only 40 now, will be 60 when he takes over. <laughs> not old, but not young. Not the same energy level, not the same whatever as when you were 40. So it'll be interesting to see. This is a job that Charles has waited his whole life for. He will, he will get it, but how long will he keep it? Will he keep it until he passes away? Will he keep that tradition? Or will he realize how he got cheated out of being a young sovereign? And maybe he doesn't want to pass that on to his son. Maybe he feels that, you know what? I know what it's like to sit here and wait and wait and wait. And. When I got it, it was cool, it was fun, but it wasn't the same. And I don't want that for my son. I want him to have a chance to really do something with it when he's younger and has the uh, energy and the inspiration and the, uh, and the vision to do something with this job as opposed to giving it to him when he's older, like I got it. I think that would be a, a very noble cause. So we'll see. And also another side part of this is the whole, you know, Harry and Meghan drama, and a lot of people uh, made a lot of news, oh, you know, Harry isn't, uh, you know, during all these ceremonies of mourning, um, Harry is not allowed to wear his military uniform, you know, he was a veteran, he went to Afghanistan, and. But yet, you know, because he's no longer a working royal, oh, that's not fair. Yeah, well, you know what? It is fair. It is fair. The queen, from her grave, is teaching Harry a lesson that a lot of people in this world need to learn. We are in a consequence-free society right now. We don't want consequences, We want things the way we want them. And if they don't turn out or there are consequences, we don't believe the consequences should be part of our decision. Consequences are a part of every decision. That's why you need to take time to make your decision. You shouldn't make knee jerk decisions. You must, you should think five steps ahead at the time when Harry said, uh, you know, with Meghan, we, we don't want to be working royals anymore. We don't want to be a part of all this. For whatever reason, the racism uh, allegations, uh, the spare air realities, whatever it is, whatever reason that Harry and Meghan said, we don't want this anymore, the Queen said, fine. You don't want it? You don't want it. But you don't get to, Get the cool parts of it and just not the bad parts if you say goodbye you say goodbye there are consequences to your decision so yes he's a veteran but the queen said if you're not going to be a part of the royal family the working royal family then you're going to be stripped of your military titles yes you're a veteran but you are stripped of those military titles that you were bestowed. As part of the royal family. And so while at the time it might not have felt like a big deal, oh, what's the difference? A title's a title, and I'm, I just want to get out of all this royal schmoil stuff, and I'm going to move to California and live by Oprah Winfrey. Great, do that. But remember then, if that wasn't a big deal, I, I don't care about my titles, I don't care about those uniforms, All I want to go and hang out in California. Getting away from the monarchy, fine. You know, I'm not the king anyway. I'm not going to be the king. And now that that um, that William has three kids, they are all in line. So Harry is not anywhere near the throne. Not going to happen. So he, if he didn't, if he couldn't have the big job, he didn't want any job. Okay, fine. Queen stripped his titles. He's not according to the royal. Tradition, then he's not allowed to or cannot wear his, his his military the 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 uniforms that would represent the level of those titles of his military service. That's part of the game. You don't get to wear that. He says, "Okay, who cares?" So I don't get to wear a hat and a bunch of medals. I don't need them. Oh, really? Until, for instance, there's the the queen's funeral. And all these official events. And she's and he's there with his father and his uncles and his brother. And they're all wearing their military uniforms and all their medals and all their pomp and circumstances. And Harry doesn't get to wear those now. He's just wearing a suit. And everybody says, Oh, why doesn't Harry get to wear his stuff? Because Harry said, I don't want it. That's why. There's consequences. The queen is teaching him a lesson. You don't want it? Fine. Wearing that uniform and having all those titles wasn't that important two years ago. But when you are in the midst of some of these celebrations where you're at, then you start looking around and going, geez, I I wish I could wear that, that uniform. Hey, nobody told you to leave. You could be wearing that uniform right now. It was your decision. But you got to take the good with the bad. If you want to make the decision to leave, there's a consequence. You lose your titles. You lose the ability or the right to wear those uniforms in a formal kind of uh, celebration. So don't get mad at the queen. Don't get mad at your brother and your uncle and your father because they get to wear all the fineries and you don't. That was your decision. Consequences. Good for the queen, I say. She's teaching Harry a lesson from the grave. You made the decision? I respect, your, I respect your, your, your decision. Do what you want to do. Good for you, Harry. However, I also have to take some measures here too. There's a consequence to your decision. Important lesson to be learned for everybody. There are consequences to decisions And you should think those consequences out and think if you want to experience those consequences before you make a decision to do something because those consequences will happen and they will face you. And you have to realize and discover and decide whether your actions are worth the consequences that you may later have to face. And once again, in today's world, We are all about the present. We don't care about the past, and we rarely think about the future. And that's why so many people are screwed up today, because they are only thinking about immediate gratification. They're not learning lessons from the past, and they're not thinking far ahead to say, what are the implications of the consequences of my decision? They're only doing what is good for them now and feels good for them now. but time continues to go on and you will face consequences. So don't be mad at the queen. Don't be mad at Charles. Oh, he should let him wear it. No, he should not let him wear it. He made a decision to leave the, the Royal family. If you don't want the Royal family, then you don't get the pomp and circumstance because that's part of it. You can't have both. You should have thought of that when you decided to leave. But that's what you've decided. That is your decision. If you don't want to be a working royal, then when there is a public ceremony, you will not be a royal either. Not just Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, whenever you feel comfortable about being a royal, all the time. If you want to quit, you quit. So on that case, I agree with the queen. There are some traditions that should remain. We should always look to expand, but you can't throw away the past. There's something something to be said for tradition. So that's why I said it's going to be interesting to see what Charles does. Does he create a monarchy for the 21st century, that's a hybrid. A little of a little, we'll see. But yeah, I was sad. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I did, I did shed a tear when I heard she died. I do feel a connection. I do feel I'm something of an Anglophile. Anglophile. I put a little flag in my window and I've had it up there since the day she died. Now, and, and I'll take it down this week after she's officially buried in the, in the morning. I think there's going to be still the official morning is maybe five days after the funeral, but was whenever the official morning is done, then I will take that flag out of my window. But I have it there now. I did feel a connection to the queen for whatever reason, as hard it is to put your finger on it. But I do have. I feel something of a connection and a a feeling for England and the United Kingdom. And so I did feel some kind of of a personal connection. And it is the end of an era. We won't see that kind of a... You can't be that kind of a quote-unquote ruler anymore. In today's world, it's all about opinion. It's all about look at me. It's all about what you think, and what you feel. And so while she had a tradition of that, and that's what she was known for, once she's gone, that's gone. Now Charles has said that he will use his mother's reign as an example for his, but I just don't think he'll be allowed to do that. He may think he wants to do that or thinks he can do that. But in today's TikTok, Instagram, Twitter world, public figures... And public leaders are not expected to punt. They're expected to have an opinion. They're expected to to speak out and speak their mind. That may have been okay in the world and the tradition in which Queen Elizabeth was born and which she grew up in and who she became. But that's not where Charles is living in that world anymore, and that's certainly not where his son William, now the heir to the throne, is living. So we shall see. Uh, it will 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 Charles try to carve out his own reign, or will he or his, will his reign actually be a setup for William's reign? Will he be doing things in order to elevate and set up and make? His son William's reign more effectual. Or will he just do his thing, and then when he dies, say, "Good luck, William." I don't think so, because I think he has some insight as to what it's like to wait and wait and wait. I hope so. But he's getting a little sense of what it's like to be that spare heir, even though he's not the spare heir. He's the king. But already, and soon after, when, when all the mourning is done, people are going to be talking about when is William going to take over. He's going to be haunted by William, his son, until he dies. Everybody, especially if, let's say another 10 years, and Charles is now 83. When is William going to take over? When is William going to take I, I, I guarantee you there's going to be a drumbeat more sooner than later of when is William. So he's already living in the shadow of his son. I feel sorry for Charles in a way. He was living for 73 years, his whole life in the shadow of his mother. He finally gets his, he finally gets the job that, that it was, I said before, it was his destiny. And when he gets it, he's going to be in the shadow of his son who gets it next. It's hard when you follow up the legend. Now, hey, it's not a bad gig to have. Don't get me wrong. But for Charles, I just don't think being king is going to be all that he had hoped it could be or would be as he was growing up because too much time has passed. And so, as I said, it would be a great noble thing and, and, and as a father and as a king to... Maybe say enough of this tradition. You know what? I've had the job for five years. I'm going to give it to my son while he's still young so that he can really grab this job with energy and excitement and really make a difference. What a great gift that would be from a father to a son, and what a great gift that would be from a king to his heir and a king to his country. I have no idea what's on Charles' mind, but that's my two cents about what he might do. Sad day to say goodbye to Queen Elizabeth. Here in the United States, I thought it would be a lot more, and the news has been dominated, but um, it really does seem that that whole idea of a monarchy is very unique to England. There was sadness here, but there wasn't as much the news certainly was dominated by it, but when I talked to the average person, I didn't hear too many people talking about the queen and her death. If, it, it affected me being an Anglophile, but there's not a lot of Anglophiles. You know, we've been raised in the USA, USA kind of mentality here. So we acknowledge it as a country, but I don't think there was a, a huge national mourning from the United States perspective. But I felt it. It'll be interesting to go back to England and London the next time and to feel and see if there is a different vibe there now. It'll be interesting to see what the vibe will be under a King Charles reign as opposed to what the vibe was for the whole time I've always been there, which was during a Queen Elizabeth reign. I don't know how much impact the queen or the king has, but they are there. The monarchy is represented wherever you walk in London. It feels regal. It feels regal. So it will be interesting to see how it looks and feels during a King Charles reign, as opposed to what it was during a Queen Elizabeth's reign. I hope it doesn't change too much, because I really do have an affection and uh, and a connection to England and the UK, and I look forward to going back there again and going back there many, many, many times. I really do... Uh, feel like a a Londoner when I'm there I'm oftentimes asked for directions by people when I'm there which I think is kind of cool so I must look like I know that I belong there (laughs) but yes a sad day when I heard about um, the Queen and as I said interesting ideas for what the new King will do so thank you Elizabeth For your duty and your service. You were immortalized by the Sex Pistols with the great song God Save the Queen. And uh, you were really, of all the icons that we talk about, the word icon is thrown around. But more than Paul McCartney and his little Her Majesty song, which was still viable. from 19 for 52 years you know that little ditty at the end of abbey road her majesty's a pretty nice girl but she doesn't have a lot to say for 52 years that was still viable i don't think paul ever thought that little 23 second song would uh, would have that much longevity but it did but she really was a pop culture icon we throw that word around a lot but if you think about somebody who was truly an icon who truly represented what she was. It was Queen Elizabeth. So, the Queen is dead. Long live the King. And so ends another episode of Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic. Every Monday a new episode is posted at WGNRadio.com. Or wherever you go to find your favorite podcast, we are there. And don't forget to tell your friends, tell your family, tell anybody that you know that listens to a podcast that your favorite podcast is Elton Jim's Captain Podcasting. Your loyalty and devotion is much appreciated. Hope you've enjoyed listening to episode number 330. My name is Jim Toronto. I ain't here on business. I'm only here for fun. You've been listening to Elton Jim's Captain Podtastic from the end of the web to your screen. God save the Queen.